Hello and welcome to the D&D podcast. Uh, I'm Greg Tito. Hello. Hi, Greg Tito. Hi. I'm joined by Shelley Mazanoble. Hi. Mazanoble. What'd you call me? With a, there was a B in there, no, but I pronounced like it like a, a, v in the v. a V because I'm Spanish. Mazanoble. Yes, exactly. All right. We also have Chris Lindsay joining us. Hello, Chris. Special guest Chris Lindsay. What's up? He's also known as your mom. Uh, your mom. <laughs> My mom? Your mom. So my mom. Yeah. Their mom. And Who's, your mom? Is she, you said she's at the casino today? She is. Yeah? Yeah. Mm. Is she going to play the new D&D uh, slot machines she by probably, Konami? Maybe. I mean, if it's feeling lucky, she'll she's do it. She's feeling lucky. Uh, she yeah. wants to delve she's, some dungeons. She's got her machines that she is drawn to. Yeah? Yeah. She's, like, a, she's a slot player. She is. What kind of machines? She's all about the slots, but I don't know like what particular machine she. I think it varies. Not like penguins or pirates or. If they're if they're rolling high, she'll do it. She doesn't care. She's a high roller. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Does she ever do any of the like, blackjack or no, crimes no, no, no. or no actual games of slots. skill? You guys ever do gambling? The gambling thing? Yeah, I do. I like the blackjack. Do you? Yeah. Blackjack is good because there's, I mean, it, it, you have a very low chance of winning, but it's a better chance than anything else in the casino. Yeah, yeah it's fun. Only with my life. Oh. You gamble on like a daily on basis. On a daily basis. Every Whenever I, I roll with advantage. Every time I open my mouth. It's true. It's true, and actually. We have him on the podcast. And now right? we're gambling. We're, ro- <laughs> we're rolling the dice. Okay. Rolling bleep, the bleep, bones. Bleep, bleep, bleep. I've been officially designated as the team iconoclast. I'm not sure what that means yet. Yeah. What is the definition of iconoclast? Somebody who like despoils tradition. Oh. Yeah, that's you. You're yeah. like the, uh, the the destroyer of worlds. Destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Wrecker of nations. <laughs> wow. Conan cool and title. Chris Lindsay. Chris Lindsay is one of our dungeon masters for the Extra Life Marathon. That's Are you right. two teams? I am too, yeah. What's your yeah. time slot? Do you know? Uh, I picked ones that were like in the daytime because with there being some uh, some kids at night that I have to take care of, oh. it was it would be difficult. And Chris Lindsay has won the coveted 4 a.m. time slot. That's yeah, right. Yeah. It's rave time. My demon lord is grasped. I can't wait. Is it Sunday morning or Saturday morning? I believe it's Saturday morning. Nice. Yeah. So the 4 to 8? That's a good slot. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that Grotz would be the middle of the night. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. That show's going to be NC-17. Oh, wow. Yeah. We were brainstorming with uh, uh, Chris Perkins earlier, and yeah. uh, it was some fun stuff. I can't wait to unleash it. <laughs> oh, boy. I think he's talking about something. I don't know. In the game. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have some fabulous guests we today on today's show. Who do we have? We have New York Times bestselling author R.A. Salvatore to talk to us about his upcoming novel, Archmage. Oh my gosh. Arc, I, I'm going to call it Archmage. Well, that was a discussion. I do remember that. Remember that? In, in, is it, is in the arc? D&D and team. And you were Team Arc. I am Team Arch. Yeah. What are you, Lindsay? Uh, I am the one that went and actually asked Chris Perkins what the right <laughs> answer was. And he said, they're both correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really a matter of personal so taste. So it's a draw. It's a draw. We don't so have any preferred uh, we'll see pronunciation. Bart, Bart. I like oh, Bart. Arch because... Bart? Do you remember Bart? <laughs> I remember that guy. He's cool. Bart. We'll see what Bob says. <laughs> it was so tragic what happened to him. Arch sounds like <laughs> This is how we skit started. 
Um, it's like heavy metal. He's just like 10 feet away. He's okay. That's true. Yeah. Bart, Bart is fine. Let the record show. Let the record show. Oh, no, he's not 10 feet away. He's home actually with our sick child. Oh, well, now he's sick. The vomitator. The vomitator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a demon Vomit- lord. Vomitosaurus. Uh, a demon lord was infesting uh, Shelly's Which house. Which demon this lord would be responsible for. Jewy blacks. Oh. Yeah, right, because there's mucus involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oozes. So what happened? He drank, a whole, he drank a whole lot of milk. Pounded and it. Pounded this it. This is like a total rookie parenting mistake. <laughs> Even my mom yesterday was like, don't let him have any milk. I'm like, whatever. Kid wants milk. I'm going to give him milk. I just want my kid to eat and drink. And then he Jew blacks all over. Super coffee. Chugged. <laughs> chugged eight ounces of milk and then a bunch of yogurt and then... <laughs> Asked me for more milk, and I said, really? You want more? And then his eyes got real sad, and he said, no. And then just (laughs) unleashed the fury all over our bed. Because that's All over the bed? It wasn't even in, like, the kitchen? No. No, no. It just... And it just kept pouring, pouring out of him. Oh my god! Yeah. He just he just jubilexed all over. Totally. Milk equals phlegm. Bad, bad news. Yeah. See that that's Rookie. the old wives' tale, though. That's it's true. Not. I've heard. But I don't think it's it's an old wives' well, tale. Well, having slamming milk and yogurt may make you vomit, but the whole idea of like if you drink a lot of dairy or you have a lot of dairy yeah. that increases more phlegm, that's not true. That is totally true. I have science on my side. I'm going to look that one up. I mean, I have a duvet cover that's completely soiled. (laughs) (laughs) Can you bring that in? That will go up against your science. You you need to bring that in and have us uh, uh, discover. Yeah, the heck with science. We're wizards. Yeah, we are wizards. There you go. That's right. So um, we can we can give old Bobby a ring right now and ask him what he thinks. Let's call him because he's a dad of three. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my gosh! It's like it's really happening. Call her. Call her. Thanks, Ryan. Caller, are you there? Are you there, caller? <laughs> Can we do the he d- said he was there. The Donahue pose with the microphone oh, up in the air. When it comes down? Yeah. That was so cool. I love Bob Donahue. He, I swear to God, he said he was there. <gasps> Hello? Bob. Oh. <gasps> Bobby! Yay. Hey, what's up? Hi, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing better than Diane. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, but I kind of wanted to ask you on the air because it sounds like a really good story. Oh, my gosh. No, no, let's not do that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're here. The wounds are too raw. Yeah, probably, literally. These guys are looking at me like, wait, no, seriously, what? I know. That was a a great bomb to drop without being able to... But that's okay. You can read the text. She got one stuck on her waistband and it just went to town on her hip. Now you really have to explain that because... Ooh. Hornet's nest? Yeah, you don't want to. She was on the garden. She, um, yeah, she was on the garden and she stepped on the ground wasp nest. <gasps> Ouch. You know, and I were out there playing catch and all of a sudden we just heard a shriek. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. I hope she's okay. Yeah, she's okay now, but she's got some nasty bites. I mean, those things are, they're vicious because they bite you over and over again, you know? Yeah. yeah. Not like bees. Bees will sting you and then go die somewhere. Wasps just keep biting. You gotta get like that paste. You gotta put the the poultice mm-hmm. on there, or that's what at least my mom did when I was a kid, and I got stung by hornets. Did you get the poultice to draw out stingers though, and they don't really put stingers in; they just bite you. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yikes! Ike. All just right, gonna, well. just gonna get the uh, chainsaw and cut it off. Do it. That's the way to do it. Do it. So you're chatting today with Greg Tito. Hi, Bob. And Chris Lindsay. Hello. Hey, Chris. Um, so we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I know you're, you're 
Oh, make it sound like I had a choice. Uh-huh. I am making We appreciate it sound that like. we told you to be on this call. I hey, I worked through your publicist to get on your schedule. You and go. I know that you've been busy doing all sorts of pre launch publicity. So thank you for squeezing us in. <laughs> that was very uh, professional. Yes, Mr. Salvatore. Yeah. So you, you, got a, <laughs> you got a new book coming out. I got a new book coming out. So first, we want to know your pronunciation of the title. Well, until yesterday, it was Archmage. And then what? What changed your mind? And Diane said, but what about archbishops? Uh-huh. uh-huh. And I said, aha! What about archangels? I was going to say archangels. Yeah. Well, we were just discussing it ourselves here. Um, Tito is of the arch mind. Yeah. I am of the arch mind. Chris Lindsay is neutral because he asked Chris Perkins. And Chris Perkins said both answers are correct. Yeah. So. Um, before we get going. Yeah. What's going on? Should we calm back? I'm back. Oh, oh there oh. he is. I had to go in the back room. Oh, for the uh, quiet? We have two internet systems. I have one my office and I have one over in the back room at Diane's office. So I'm, I just stole Diane's office. Oh, okay. We got yeah, we, I have two BIOS lines, and uh, they kind of cross at certain points in a bad way. <laughs> you don't want to cross the streams. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, because it might be ground wasps in the streams. You never know. Yeah, like, I didn't even possible. know there was a thing, ground wasp mm-hmm. versus, versus... Yeah, it means wasps that... Live in holes in the ground, Shelly. Oh, yeah, and nasty. they make their nests with mud. Well, I don't they feel drow. safe anywhere. They draw wasps. They are. Drow wasps. Drow. <laughs> vicious, vicious draw wasps. Demon yes. wasps. Benzo stingin's on. There you go. There you go. That's going in the next book. There you go. Yeah, nice. you can have that one, Bob. That's <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> that's Diane. Well, if you remember right, when they were writing Shores of Dusk, and I was like, pissed off and had left TSR over it, and they were they were going to have. Um, Flying, um, drow flying around on squids. No, no, I don't remember that. Wow. Drow flying yeah, around on squids. So I, I called it the first of the ninth calamari, and <laughs> oh, people man. got really mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm open to anything at this point. <laughs> All right, ground wasp it is. Yeah, and now I'm hungry for calamari. For some fried, fried calamari. Yeah. Um, so. Bobby, Archmage, Archmage, what, however you want to say Archmage. it. Golden Archmage. Archmage. Archmage it is. All right. The Golden Arches. What, do you, what can you tell us about it without Nothing. being too spoilery? <laughs> no. Okay. Um. Every now and again, our authors get really excited about a future project and say things that we're not ready to say yet. Right now is one of those times. So we invite you to sit back and listen to some soothing music. And now back to the podcast. Can we say that? No. no. We're going to cut that oh, right we'll out. <laughs> One sentence. That right. One sentence. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's the first book in Homecoming, which is the next trilogy. There you go. In the life and times of Dritz the Warden and his friends and enemies. And it, it picks up right after the Companions Codex uh, 
Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf and takes us to the next phase where the whole world goes crazy. Yeah, that's not even an understatement. No. For what's happening in this current storyline. It's not even an underdark statement. It's not? Good one, <laughs> Tito. Tito just came back from a, a vacation with his college buddies. I, think, I did. I think you're still a little punchy. I'm still that. a little punchy. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. There was some. Well, wow, Tito's college buddies are still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Even they're worse. They're like grade school buddies. Oh that, really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was college. Buddies. No, no. Yeah, one one of the kids I knew since I was six. Really? That, that's awesome. Yeah, we went to Chicago. We would have liked to buy. We went and saw some games at Wrigley Field and uh, uh, U.S. Oh, I never been there. Yeah, it was it was nice. So I'm bummed off. out. I only have three more games in Fenway. Yeah. Well, I, I got I, next Friday night because um, I'll be back from Cincinnati early enough to go on the fourth, and then the fifth I'm taking the guys from Emerald Knights Comics. Oh, fun. They're out in Boston, so I'm taking them to Fenway. And then on the 8th, um, I'll be doing a signing in Boston, but it's an afternoon signing, so I'll be able to hit the the night game. Nice. And that's nice. it. Then I'm on the road for their last homestand. What do you think? I just I, We're just totally going to sabotage on, this podcast on. by talking about baseball. But they're firing Don Orsillo from... Uh... Yeah, that's got a lot of people really pissed oh, off. Oh, is that what you were tweeting yeah, about? Yeah, I was really mad. I yeah, loved you really him. You can't blame him for the bad ratings. I mean, no. really. Yeah, I mean, it's a losing team three out of the four last seasons uh, is going to have some dip in the ratings. Yeah, it's not him. And I loved him. I, think, I thought he was great. So I'm sad to see him go. Well, I think Remy is mad, so we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. They may rethink that. But, but, I hope so. Well, wh- where do you stand? Would you rather have Don Orsillo stay? Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that's good. I think that's Don Orsillo didn't do anything to lose his job. He and Remy get along great. They've really perfected their kind of shtick in the booth. Maybe if you put a better team on the field, they'd be able to talk about baseball more. Zang! All right, I like they, that. They didn't fire the other guy, though? Just they didn't one fire the other guy, yeah. Oh, interesting. I know, right? Yeah. Totally lame. I mean, if one of us gets fired from this podcast, we all get fired from this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right, guys? We're like the Friends cast, right? Where yeah. we, all, we all negotiate together. <laughs> all right, well, well, back to the topic at hand. That was a great little segue. I don't have and any important. segue from baseball and, and, to D&D. I really don't. Tito. I wish I did. Um, but Bobby, this is I'm really excited about the storyline. I think Tito and Lindsay are excited about the storyline. It's a Absolutely. little bit cray-cray. Um, but you you collaborated with the the story team here at Wizards about this storyline, right? So I'm I'm assuming all of the really 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 crazy mad stuff that happens we can blame on you. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> Wait, oh no. No, it happens. They um they, I get the big the overview story from them, and I try and weave a story that fits into it that can give enough hints about it that'll make sense to somebody who's gonna go play this uh, Rage of Demons elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, without, I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm telling the story of of the whole thing. I, I'm just giving kind of uh, jump on points and side stories that go along with it. Yes, and um, there are certain things. Then you know. Then it comes up where they'll ask me to do something in the book that I'm like, I can't do that. And they're like, oh, yeah, you'll find a way to do it. I'm like, Squids. look at what you're asking me to do. I can't do that. That's ridiculous. And they say, oh, we have faith. You'll figure it out. <laughs> who is, who is asking did. you? Did you? Did you do that, whatever they were asking you? I did. Oh. Wow. I guess they did have faith. And you can't, I wish you could tell us without spoiling what that is, but, you know, maybe uh, uh, a year from now we'll do that podcast. Yeah. We'll figure out. Tell us what page it's on. Yeah. Tell us what the crazy event (laughs) that you're like, no, I can't do that. And then it actually happens. Like, that'd be cool. It's the main event in the book. Wow. All right. 
I was like, how am I going to pull that off? Oh, I think I know what it is. Oh. I'm not going to tell anyone. Oh. Tell me after. I will. So it is, it is always a challenge to talk about a novel without giving so much of it away. But um, So in, in a nutshell, though, what, what's happening here? Dritzt is called upon to return to the Underdark. Chris Lindsay and I were kind of joking about this. Yeah. We were saying... So your friend Bruno <laughs> comes up to you and says, Hey, buddy, I want you to go home. <laughs> what are you thinking? And you kind of don't no, like it. No, it wasn't home. really that. It was like, if you look at the end of the Companions Codex. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and by the way, I just realized that we're, we're a book ahead here. We're talking about Archmage, not Maestro. That's true. Oh. But what we've just been talking about is Maestro. Oh, Bobby. Oh, okay. It's true. It's true. Yeah, then, then my, but then my theory is even more uh, correct. Archmage is, Archmage is the logical continuation of Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf, mm-hmm. where at the end of Vengeance, you see that Bruno's planning to go back and liberate Gontelgrim from the Dark Elves. Right. And at the same time, you see the goings-on in Menzo Berenzan that are the beginning of, of Rage of Demons. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the inception of that. We see we see the Archmage, Bromf, Banray, uh, thinking he's unlocking the powers of the universe. And maybe he is, but not in the way that he intended. And kind of deceived, if you will, into doing some things he really didn't plan to do, but he does. Um, so that book... Or this book <laughs> is, um, you know, they always they always break up my books into trilogies and quartets and quintets, and and I never look at them that way. I've said this a million times, but nobody ever believes me. <laughs> it's just the next logical continuation of where I left it last time. It's an ongoing story. And with this one, it's really the inception of of kind of um, uh, an insane, chaotic loosing on the world um which will be picked up in the next book maestro and then next summer in the the final book of homecoming that's cool it's interesting that what, what you just said like how you don't really think of it as like individual like books do you think of it more of like a serial uh, television show you know like a uh, a game of thrones or something like that where you know it's an ongoing long long form story is that how you yeah how you think of the exactly Legend of Drift? every year i feel like i'm writing another season of the Dritz TV show. That's pretty cool. That's how I've looked at it for 20 years. That's true. That, that's exactly right. So I'll add new cast members, maybe get rid of a couple, maybe get rid of a couple that'll come back later. Um, that's, that's how I've been treating these books for two decades. That's really cool. So writing these books for two decades, how do you... There's all, I mean, the stories are, are unique that you tell. There's always these epic battles. There's these amazing characters that come and go. There's... Dritz has gone through so many different transformations. How do you keep coming up with this stuff? Like it's, I mean, where do these stories keep coming from? How many from? spy plots did James Bond foil? Lots. Six. How many mysteries did Sherlock Holmes unravel? I, I guess it's, it's just fascinating to me to actually know someone who can come up with this stuff. Like, you really do this. It is. Well, here's, here's something you got to understand about, like, as far as moving the characters forward, right? Um, when I wrote the first... Dritz book, I was 28 years old. I'm 56 now. 
big, big, big shift. That in, was half in, my life ago. Yeah. yeah. The world has changed. There was no internet then, really. I mean, at compute, some colleges had it, but it was, you know, you could play Zork with somebody 50 <laughs> miles away or something. Um, there was no internet. There were no smartphones. There were no cell phones. Except, you know, a couple of years later, they had the ones like you saw in the early Friends episodes that were like the size of a television. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a different world. And information was passed around differently. The speed of events was very different. Uh, there were actual bookstores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, so over these years, you know, 28 years, I've changed quite a bit. At that time, I was a father of three, well, two, then three young children, and now I've got a five-year-old grandson. So my perspective on the world has changed quite a bit. And, and it wasn't a, an abrupt change. Like everyone else, you just evolve. Mm -hmm. And so all I did with my characters is I just reflected my new realities of – my new perception realities, I'll call them that, onto the characters in their situations, and they evolved with me. And now I'm just giving the next logical adventure on the road of adventure with these guys and gals. Cool. That's very interesting. I mean, yeah. there have been some parts of it where I have set out to do certain things. After, after Ghost King and Gontelgrim, Dritz had no friends. So I gave him a new band of friends who were of completely opposite heart than he. And so now he had to become more tolerant. You know, it was like... It's like a Republican thrown into a nest of Democrats or vice versa. Um, and he had to find a way to make that work and, and find common ground with them without being pulled to where he didn't want to be, which is where they were. Mm -hmm. And now after that with the companions, which I, you know, might be one of my, I think my favorite books that I've ever written are probably Mortalis, Homeland, The Highwayman and Companions. Companions, you know, I was scared to death when I wrote it, but when I wrote it, it felt nothing I've ever written felt more right to me than that book. But I was able to take, a, when the companions, I was able to go and accomplish something completely differently because how many times when you're my age do you look back and go, boy, if I, if I could go to high school now knowing what I know now, right? I'd own that place. <laughs> you know? That is such um, a, a if good I came out of school now, to. yeah, if I came out of school now knowing what I know, about how the stock market works, about how business works. Mm -hmm. I would have done X, Y, and Z, right? Um, and being able to take these characters and bring them back from the beginning, but with full understanding of previous lives, gave me a chance to explore the what would I do storylines from four different perspectives. And all four of them did something different. Have they ever surprised you? They surprise me every day. And here's the thing I do when I'm writing about these characters, all of them. If they're acting out of character, instead of hitting delete and backspace a million times to get rid of it, I just ask them, what's bugging you? What do they say? And they'll answer. And it's a different answer every time. For example, it was the third book of the Cleric Quintet before I really came to understand what was bothering Catterley was bothering Catley was that he was an atheist, or at least agnostic. But he was getting power from a divine being, supposedly. So he felt like a hypocrite. Mm. But I didn't know that going in. I didn't figure that out until like the second or third book of the series. 
and that's okay. That's how it works for me. I, I look at the characters. I reflect what they're doing in their voice and through their eyes. And when they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, instead of erasing it and saying they should be doing this, I ask them why, and they tell me. And it's worked for me for all these years. That's so awesome. I, when I was, I was going to ask you that question to see, like, when you're writing dialogue or just writing things out, like, do you have it planned out ahead of time, or do you have it just like kind of flow through you? Uh, and it sounds like it's it's B, like you just kind of let it all come out. I have to give them an outline because it has to mesh with especially now where we're kind of trying to tie all the storylines into a bigger picture mm -hmm. so that everybody needs an outline to know what I'm going to do. But my outline are really just beat points that I have to hit. The truth is that within those beat points, there are a million different roads I can take to get there. So there are times when I'm writing where I have to keep writing just to find out what's going to happen because I really don't know. And that I, that's what makes writing fun for me. Yeah. You're as surprised as your readers are when you're writing it. I write a book the way most people read a book. So after you finish a draft, do you how much of that stays, or is it then do you like what, what's your editing process like before you turn it over to your editor? I get to about eighty percent of the first draft, and now I've and during that, let's say I'm at forty percent, and I say this would be cool, and I add a character. And then I say, well, I don't want to just drop this character in here, but I'm not going to go back and worry about it. So I'll go back to a logical place in the book, a logical chapter in the book where I could introduce this character kind of off, you know, on the side of the screen. And I'll just put a note under the title of the chapter, uh, don't forget, you know, <laughs> Bruno or whatever. And, but when I'm about 80% done the book, what I do is in the morning I go back and I edit a chapter or like the prologue, uh, the prologue of an essay. So I'll do like one chapter, one bite. And then I'll, in the afternoon, I'll do my thousand words going forward from where I am at the end of the book. And if I time it right, and I usually do by this point, I'm done editing right as I'm done writing. So wow. I'm gonna, the, the last day I do the, the last part of the epilogue, I'll edit the epilogue. And then the book goes to Gino, who I've hired as my first editor. It's <laughs> going to him in sections. And I look at his comments. He's very good at this. He's a very good editor. And, um, and he knows my style and he knows what I'm trying to do better than anyone alive other than me. So I, I'll take his comments almost like an edit. And I'll go back through and I'll clean it up some more and, you know, give me one more last pass through it real quickly. And I'll, I'll probably spend a week tops on the whole book at that point. Just cleaning it up, answering his concerns, making some subtle changes here and there. Mm -hmm. Then the book goes to Phil, or who, who, whoever's editing me at the time. But it's been Phil Athens for a while now, and Phil will come back with his comments, and we'll argue because that's what you do with editors, <laughs> and we'll come to terms on what's right. We'll figure out the best course, and then I'll. My edit with Phil is usually a change of about two to three percent of the book tops. Really. And it's been that way from the beginning. Wow. Since I worked with Eric Severson and Mary Kirchhoff. Um, it's usually been additions. I, I very rarely delete anything. So I really I really try to live by the if it's in the book, it's in there for a reason rule. Right. I mean my favorite piece of writing in the English language is The Dead by James Joyce. And the reason it's my favorite piece of writing is because I had a college assignment once to go through that. And find one sentence that, that could have been cut out without hurting the story, and I couldn't do it. Wow. That's pretty amazing. 
It's amazing that you got through a James Joyce story. <laughs> oh, don't even say that. Have you ever read The Dead? I've tried. The Dead is, the dead is wonderful. Wait a minute. Well, it's actually, not Ulysses, and it's not Portrait of the Artist, and it's not, you know, it, it, The Dead is, first of all, it's a novella, so suck it up, dude. No, yeah. I, it, second of all, you're right. it's brilliant. It was I Ulysses mean, was the one that I, that I had tried to read and couldn't well, get through it. It's a, that one was a little bit more uh, 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 difficult to, to parse. But I haven't read The Dead, so I'll, I'll, t- I'll pick that up for sure. But I want to. James Joyce's short stories are very different from James Joyce's novels. Do which you have- I, I really, I mean, I think he wrote Ulysses as a, to punk the critics. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was convinced that I can write anything and they'll find brilliance in it. Want, to pro- want me to prove it here? And it worked because the people on college campuses still to this day are trying to figure it out. That's true. Yeah. Right. Right, and Joyce is laughing from wherever he is. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you ever go back and reread uh, uh, your older works? You know, with that that span of time that has been since you've uh, uh, been doing it. Uh, the reason I ask is I am rereading uh, Exile, or actually, I just finished reading Exile on on the next one, um, and it's been a. Uh, I didn't know this at the time, but it's a great research for planning to uh, run the Out of the Abyss, the Rage of Demons adventure that that we're making here. Because they're very they're very similar, in 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 theme basically of like hey here's a adventurer going through the underdark having an adventure it's almost like a a, a railroad adventure or a river uh, uh, story like a Huckleberry Finn where things kind of happen and and uh, how Drists navigates that has been has been really fascinating for me. Um, I read parts of them that I know are relevant to what I'm writing now, but have I sat down and reread one of my books front to back? No. Uh, it's very hard for me to do that because once again I go into editor stage and I get mad at myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Especially tw- twenty-eight-year-old kind of you. Because I'll have you know I'll have people come up to me and say, "Oh, this scene in Streams of Silver with da 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 on and on and on," and I sit there and nod stupidly like I have any idea what they're talking about. I wrote that book <laughs> in nineteen eighty-eight. You know, um, it's. I mean, if I were to go back and reread every Dritz book before I wrote the next one, I'd never write the next one because by the time I got done rereading them all, I'd have forgotten the first one again. It's, you know, I'm a very slow reader and a very slow reader. It takes me a month to read a book. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fast for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's like speed reading. Yeah. So, no, I I don't go back and reread my books. So, Bob, you're very well known for your fight scenes, and I know that this book, Archmage, that we're calling it now. Arch. Arch. Now you're confusing I'm me, Tito. I'm backing up. Yeah, I'm going um, <laughs> I know that, that there's plenty in here. What, what uh, can you tell us what the most exciting fight scene is in this book, just in broad strokes? Oh, when the dwarves go down to the lower level of Gauntlegrim. Didn't even is, hesitate. I, I had so much fun with that. How do you prepare oh, for writing these fight scenes? Well, I mean, picture this. You're up on a ledge in the, at the top of this vast cavern. You know the enemy are down below, and you have to get down there. So how do you do that? Well, of course, you set up some harples with a field of feather falling, and you leap. Um, so it's basically, <laughs> <laughs> okay. basically I have airborne in the cavern. Oh, towards, that's awesome. Uh, nice. And, but, but how do you get them out of there? Do you reverse that? And Well, I'm going to stop because I'm going to give the whole thing away, but... You know, and, and again, remember, you're trusting the Harples to do this, so right. it's probably not the smartest thing you've ever done, but the scene when the dwarves go down into the cavern 
is um, I rate it up there on a, on as a big battle scene as one of the best I've ever done. I mean, it it is. I had to really find ways to kind of turn the prism a little bit to make it more interesting, and and it was um, I was laughing the whole time I was writing it, and it it really worked. So yeah, that that's got to be it. There's there's another scene in there as well, personal battle fight, uh, you know, personal fight between Dritz and a and a very hated new enemy um, that that gets pretty heavy as well. Mm. Well, I have a smile on my face just trying to picture the whole Featherfall airborne thing happening. It's like the first dwarven halo drop in the Underdark ever. Mm-hmm. Nobody's <laughs> ever done that before. Exactly. It's exactly. Brilliant. That's so cool. Chris Lindsay, Dungeon Master, is getting very excited over here. That's pretty cool. But now you have to remember, <laughs> you have to remember that the the monsters guarding that room are being controlled by dark elves, House of Lyran, who have wizards, who say, "Hmm." How can we slow this down? <laughs> uh, it gets pretty crazy. I had a lot of fun with it. That's I. I had a lot of fun. I've I've been having a blast since I wrote Companions, though, because you know I wrote three books about a war, <laughs> and now I'm writing a fourth book about a war. And next, I get to go fight demons in the Underdark. Um, life is good. So <laughs> you know? that's cool. I know we only have you for a few more minutes, but let's let's talk about fighting demons in the Underdark. So Dritz is back. Maestro. Oh, but well, there's a little of that in this book too, if I might say. Have right? you read this book? I know what's happening. Yeah, okay. There's there's a little of He's that. In, I saw the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> trailer was for Wait. Rage of Demons. Let's get this straight. Right. Well, what? Which encompasses both. Archmage, Archmage, and Maestro. Right, because it's the whole storyline campaign. So you don't know where one ends and the other begins. I'd, and I'm not going to That's very but confusing. Yes. <laughs> that's very confusing. But I know that, that Drist is at odds with himself as he's back in the Underdark and madness is creeping in. Um, this has to, it's, it's kind of a different Drist that you're writing about here. How does it... What's what's going on with him and his character and right. and you? And that goes back to his first time in exile outside of Benzoberanzen and how he was forced to survive. Worse. Yeah, it's this even worse. Much worse. Wow. This one is all right. If you remember in when and, and by the way, this is Maestro we're talking about. Um, <laughs> more than Archmage. Arc Sorry. Um, if you remember. When Wolfgar came back from his imprisonment in the abyss, mm-hmm. one of the things that really drove him to the bottle, if you will, and really drove him insane, was while he was in Ertu's captivity, Ertu was giving him this illusion that seemed so very real, that he was married to Caddy Bree and they were having children and everything was wonderful and this, this decep- grand deception that life was Grand and everything was wonderful, and he was living in Icewind Dale with his dear love, Caddy Bree, at that time. And they had kids, and, and everything. And then Ertu basically ate the kids in front of him. And the whole thing was just a, a big lie. So now look at what's happened to Dritz, where he finds himself alone. He thinks he's dying. He climbs to the top of Kelvin's can, and lo and behold, there's Caddy Bree and Regis, who he had lost decades before. And there's Bruner, who he had watched die in Gontelgrim, 
And there's Wolfgar showing up, who he had seen as a very, very old man in Icewind Dale who couldn't be alive, certainly couldn't be that age. Mm -hmm. And then he finds out soon after that, well, look, Adamus and Trary, who should be dead, is still alive. And at what point, with a little help from his enemies, does Dritz start to believe that he's being, the whole thing is a grand deception? And so the entire basis on which he perceives reality becomes quicksand beneath his feet. Yeesh. And under that, if he is to accept that perception is reality, so reality is therefore what he makes of it. You know, it's that old teenage dream or preteen dream that the whole world is just your dream. Mm -hmm. and you're in, everybody has that feeling at some point in their life. But imagine if that feeling is pervasive and it won't leave. What does that tell you about the morals or the sacrifices you've made for some, you know, ephemeral morality that really has no place? What does it say about a life lived well if living the life, if the life you've lived well is nothing more than a, a mass hallucination? What does it say about making the right choices when the hard choices would have been so much more fun? <laughs> I'm serious. It's true. It's true. When that entire basis of there is a truth, right? I mean, I, I think we've seen this in our own country where you've had major officials saying, we're an empire now. We make our own reality. And when you're trying to figure out what we do, we've moved on to making the next reality. That was a quote from a senior official of a U.S. government. If, if that's the case, if, if it's all an illusion or all a grand lie that you're telling people, then what's the point mm -hmm. of any of it? That ties into like and so many like conspiracy theory. Uh, uh, so how lost things. is he? How lost is someone who has come to be unable to escape that belief that it's all just perception? There is no real truth and that's when that's when he breaks right that's where that's when drist starts to, to to fragment in the underdark that's homecoming yeah <sighs> spooky well on that note <laughs> read uh, read archmage and 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 maestro in the dark with a single candle burning <laughs> in the middle of a thunder and lightning storm yeah <laughs> don't forget flute and back Oh, and playing in the background. <laughs> Rumors? That's that's Tusk. pretty amazing, Bob. Tusk, okay, good. I, I know that <laughs> most underrated album ever. I haven't heard it. I gotta now. I gotta, I got all these recommendations of things. That's why I like talking it's to the you, most Bob. Most underrated no. album ever. I'm gonna read uh, uh, James Joyce, The Dead, uh, while listening to Fleetwood Mac, there and then go. pick up Archmage in between there at some point. Yeah. That sounds good. While playing Rage of Demons. Well, if you, if you read James Joyce while listening to Fleetwood Mac, you see God. I'm just saying. <laughs> wow. Does there have to be any uh, uh, red wine involved in that? <laughs> Maker's Mark. <laughs> nice. Well, we this is Seattle. Like Tito's doing this, this is We got other things going okay, on. Okay, this is Seattle. That's right, your snobs. <laughs> Happy Van Winkle. Oh. <laughs> Cool. You, we'll have to have a, a local distillery. Right. When yeah. you come here on your on your tour, we gotta we gotta. Oh yeah, we're share. gonna see you soon. Yeah, just a couple you're weeks. You're gonna see me for a day. That's that's still soon. Let's go. But then in November you're gonna see me for a week, so 
So just get used to it, okay? All right. <laughs> Small doses, and then we'll lead up. I'm to coming up week. for a week in November. Very exciting. Woohoo! Woohoo! That's a beautiful time. That's when they're going to tell me you have to change everything in Maestro because we gave it all away on Shelly's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We're just going to be beep, beep. <laughs> Bleeping out everything. No, this was very efficient. We promoted two books in one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to replay this very podcast next year when Maestro comes out. That's right. Play it backwards. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Rams, Rams. Drift is dead. Missy Orcas. Three times. <laughs> Drift, Drift is dead. dead. <laughs> yeah. I murdered Paul. Paul. I buried Paul. I buried Paul. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right, it was good Bobby. talking to you, Bob. We know you're All busy. Right, Go make some phone calls and uh, write some some more awesome books. I will try to do that, yes. All right. Nice talking to you. See you soon. Welcome uh, to the D&D podcast. We, I am Greg Tito, uh, and I'm joined by Shelley Mazzanoble and Chris Lindsay, and calling in on two... Different computers cool. from two different locations. Uh, we have some very special guests with us. Chris Pramus and Steve Kenson from Green Ronin Studios. Yay. Welcome, guys. Hello. It's Green Ronin Publishing, but... Oh. <laughs> Studios oh, shoot, we Publishing. we called the wrong people. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> How embarrassing. All right, hang up. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we at least we got the Ronin down. We just, I know, oh, right? We just couldn't yeah. get it. Yeah. Covered everything else. God. God, I should have written that down. Seriously. Yeah. For you DMs out there, take notes. It's very important. Yes. Yes. Sorry. What were we saying, Chris? Oh, um, when people get it wrong, they usually say Green Ronin Games. Uh, uh. No one's ever said Green Ronin Studios before. So kudos for originality. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We're original. When we screw up, we screw up original. You can use the studios when you guys uh, diversify into uh, movies and yeah. TV. Mm. Because, like, the Out of the Abyss movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. We'll so, yeah, uh, we were talking to you guys because you were, uh, you know, designed in collaboration with us the uh, Out of the Abyss adventure. How was that? That's right. It was, it was indeed epic, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> so, obviously, you guys have a history with D&D, and we love mm -hmm. to hear the... How did you the start? The inception yeah. story, right? What, what like, was your first time? How, when did you start playing D and D? Who introduced you? All that good stuff. Uh, so you want to go, Steve? Oh, sure. Uh, I I was actually a a self-taught uh, gamer initially. Um, I I got my start with the uh, gray boxed set of Gamma World. Um, and uh, after that, uh, quickly graduated to the the boxed basic set of D&D where I, I basically taught myself the rules and spent an inordinate amount of time just rolling up characters, um, which at the time was just huge fun in and of itself. Um, and then I, I uh, convinced some uh, schoolmates of mine uh, to play with me, um, and I've pretty much been uh, dungeon mastering ever since. So that was, you know, when I was like 12. Um, and uh, you know, I've I've probably played uh, every edition of of D and D ever since. That's awesome. So, what was your pitch when you were trying to get your classmates to play with you? Hmm. Uh, well, initially, my you see, the, my initial pitch was actually about um, playing Gamma World. So, really, it was about you know weird mutants and, yeah. and you know guys with laser eyes and things like that. 
Um, and I, I kind of snuck D&D in um, because um, we initially took our Gamma World characters um, into um, Greyhawk hmm. uh, via Dimensional Warp uh, and ended up playing several D&D adventures there and after a while um, decided to actually come up with legit D&D characters and, and play D&D for a while. So it was sort of a, a you know, sneak it in through the, the back door approach. Nice. That's the way to do it. <laughs> I tried to do that with uh, 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 Middle Earth role playing. I remember back in the day trying to get my. Uh, it's like it's like the Hobbit, you guys. You can just be like the Hobbit, but yeah. they didn't, it didn't really work. No, <laughs> not as not as famously as yours did, apparently. So yeah, it worked out pretty well. What about you, Chris? Um, so I started playing D and D when I was ten. Um, it was 1979, if I may date myself. You um, may. Yeah. And uh, it was actually, uh, believe it or not, my mom, um, she had read an article about this game that crazy college students were playing. And I, you know, was already reading lots of fantasy novels and that sort of thing. And she showed me the article. I was like, oh, I think this is the sort of thing that that you and your brother would like. So we went to a place called Eric Fuchs Hobbies in Salem, Massachusetts. And uh, and I bought the white box D&D set. and then uh, we really couldn't make heads or tails of that because it was kind of written for an audience of 1960s war gamers, and I was a 10-year-old. Um, but, uh, you know, it seemed like it was really cool. <laughs> and uh, so we went back to Eric Fuchs and ended up getting um, the, um, the original basic set, um, the Holmes set. And, uh, and then quickly thereafter, the AD&D Player's Handbook. And that's when it all fell into place. And we actually started to play. We got some modules and, um, and started a campaign. And uh, did not really expect that uh, 36 years later, I was going to be playing D&D. But there you go. That's, first of all, I'm still stuck on the fact that it was your mom in 1979. Yeah. (laughs) All the stuff that was said and written about D&D in that time, and your mom was like, I think my kids are going to love this game. I love her. (laughs) That is so awesome. So with this history of, of playing. Sorry, go ahead. The his- Te- technical difficulty. Whoa. Sorry about that. I, see, it's the two Skype caller thing. We, totally we, we knew it was going to be this easy. Yeah, it couldn't, <laughs> it couldn't have been that easy. Um, so you, you've been playing D&D for a long time, and then how, how do you become a game designer? I mean, but what's the path to that like? It seems like a dream career for, for two guys that were playing D&D or playing games when they were 10 and 12 years old. Yeah, uh, for I mean, me, I, oh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, for me, it, uh, it started with going to Gen Con. Um, <clears throat> I just started to go for fun in 1989. Um, and at Gen Con, basically, like, the whole game industry is there. So I started meeting people, and I, you know, I had a desire to write. Um, and I had done a few, like, reviews and things like that. But um, basically, I just sort of hit the bricks, as it were, and uh, eventually I uh, got a job through Mayfair Games working on uh, a game called Underground that Ray Winninger designed. Um, and I did some freelance writing for that. And that was sort of my entryway. And then from there, I was able to get other freelance work on games like Over the Edge and Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay um, and uh, Whispering Vault and things like that. And, uh, you know, once I was established as a freelancer, I you know, then 
made a career out of it. So that was my entryway. What about you, Steve? Uh, like a lot of gamers, I was a I was a game designer long before anybody was actually willing to pay me for it. <laughs> um, you know, I I you know I mean like like a lot of um, especially um, game master types, I I did a lot of you know my own design. You know, I made up stuff for my games, um, and I did I got involved in a lot of um, early online fandom for games and play testing. And um, I was involved with the uh, play tests for uh, Shadowrun uh, um, back in the day mm -hmm. and um, submitted a lot of, in addition to my play test notes, a whole bunch of, hey, here are a whole bunch of things I designed for my game. Uh, and uh, Tom Dowd, who was the Shadowrun developer, um, was like, hey, some of these are pretty good. Um, how would you, you know, like me to, you know, pay you X amount of money, you know, for them and I'll use them. Um, and I would, and, you know, the, just the whole notion dawned on me that, you know, somebody would actually pay me um, to do, you know, this stuff that I was doing. Um, and and uh, I, that start led to uh, initially doing some freelance work for FASA Corporation on Shadowrun and Earthdawn uh, and, you know, branching out into a, a variety of uh, of other you know game products, and eventually becoming a, a full time freelancer before I um, became a um, staff uh, member at Green Renee. Very cool. Right into it. Yeah, that's, that's really yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I think that is so. And that's one of the great things about Dungeons and Dragons that it it you if you're DMing in any kind of homebrew world you're already a game designer and uh, yeah. the skills and the storytelling that you learn there uh, you know are you know, the people who can do it really well uh, are the ones that uh, gravitate towards becoming you know uh, freelance or full-time game designers I think that's so cool I think it's cool that it's a legit career and that there's actually college majors yeah that are game design focused oh my gosh are you guys teaching yeah, any of those <laughs> you could no but that you know that didn't exist when I was in school. No, uh, it didn't. It's relatively I went new. To N I went to NYU for undergrad, and um, I joined this thing called the Gallatin Division, which was the university without walls. Ooh. And uh, basically, Gallatin like itself offered very few classes, but what it allowed you to do is take classes from any other school and university. So I just created my own mutant major, or I was studying like history and mythology and, and cinema studies. And, you know, basically it was like things that interest me. That, that's right. what I wanted to study. It's just mm -hmm. kind of uh, what college should be, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah. And then I went to, it was when I was in grad school that I started freely. And at a certain point I was like, wait, I could do this writing and get paid for it, or I could pay more money to finish my degree. I think I'm going to do this game design thing for a while. And, uh, <laughs> I guess that worked out because I'm still. I guess so. Yes, and it's yeah. funny how, like you know, with uh, uh, the birth of cinema in the in the mid 20th century, there were all these uh, film majors that popped up in the in the 50s and 60s. And I think remember at the time, they'd be like, "What? What? You, you don't go to school to learn how to make movies? <laughs> yeah. Like that's silly." And now you know it's kind of yeah. taken for granted. But I think that same kind of feeling is is happening in game design now, where where it's 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 a somewhat new major and a, and a vocation for people. Uh, and the school is just kind of lapped onto it. And like, hey, no, this is actually something that people can teach and learn, and you grow from your mentors and, and, and get better. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's very fascinating. Yep. Gaming is getting Hello. bigger. 
Yeah, indeed. Yeah, well, the problem is there's not enough jobs, right? So you have all these places like DigiPan and Full Sail that every year are graduating all these people who want to get into video games. There aren't enough video game jobs for all those people. So I'd be curious to see, hmm. you know, like what happens 10 years from now. They go into PR. Uh-huh. Says our, <laughs> says our PR manager. <laughs> <laughs> Or they teach. Oh. Or they teach, right? Yeah. You know, Woody yeah. Allen joke. Yeah. Yep. So uh, everyone has a, a story about the first time they were left alone in the underdark. Uh, I thought you were going somewhere else there. <laughs> I like stories. Um, now that we have Out of the Abyss coming out, did you guys draw upon any of your experiences previously adventuring in the underdark? Spelunking. <laughs> right. The kids these days call that splunking. <laughs> well, I still re uh, recall pretty vividly um, uh, playing the, um, well, DMing the uh, the Vault of the Drow um, adventure uh, for D&D. Uh, &D. And um, really um, that being, you know, uh, an introduction to the notion, you know, there were dungeons and um, there are lots of D&D stuff happened in caves underground, but this was this whole sort of alien parallel world uh, that existed um, that was that was way beyond, you know, any of the, the sort of dungeons that characters were, were used to. And I just remember um, uh, a lot of the, the, the feeling that that kind of environment, you know, sort of evoked uh, the, the just the notion that you were you were just you know really um, beyond the 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 ordinary world, um, and everything was just sort of strange and alien. And I think the the um, you know the stuff like the very evocative um, Aerolotus artwork, mm. um, you know, had had that really strange quality to it um, that. Uh, really informed a lot of uh, what we wanted in Out of the Abyss. I loved all that old artwork from uh, uh, um, the old artists. Aerolotus was one that, that popped up a lot in uh, in fandom. Oh, yeah, yeah, indeed. His style is just so unique. You know, you see an Aerolotus piece, you're like, that's Aerolotus? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I played through um, uh, the Drow modules, you know, Descent to Depths of the Earth and so on. And uh, probably my biggest memory is coming back to the surface. We had like a bag of holding just full of drow magic items, you know, that we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to outfit all of our followers with these awesome magic <laughs> uh -huh. items, you know, only to discover that they would lose their enchantments in the upper worlds. And so we had a bag full of worthless junk and we were very sad. <laughs> See, that's when you got to find a traveling merchant and get rid of it immediately. Yeah. Before it goes bad. Yep, the drought get their revenge in the end. <laughs> so sneaky. Nice. So there's a there's a couple of uh, of awful demon lords rampaging uh, in the underdark <laughs> here in uh, out of the abyss. Uh, which just, which just a couple? Just a couple. Just you know, a couple or yeah. eight or nine. They're easy to deal with. Not a, <laughs> not a problem at all. So um, do, which one of them do you guys uh, uh, identify with the most? Uh, you know, if, if if Steve, if you had to pick one. That uh, it you see. personifies you. 
what see, identify, identify with is a really telling question. Um, you know, uh, I guess that uh, it would probably have to be uh, Demogorgon um, because the whole um, two-headed thing um, is, is I, I have a very active internal dialogue. Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say you have two heads. Which is, no, not on the radio, I don't. Uh, and, it's a family um, show, man, family show. I got it now. I got it now. Fa- it's all right. No, no pants, no pants on this podcast. <laughs> but, it's the no pants um, podcast. Yeah, so I, I, have a, I have a very, you know, sort of a, you know, active internal dialogue, and I'm always talking to myself, at least, you know, in my head, um, and fortunately, very rarely out loud. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I can certainly empathize with that sort of, of uh, internal babble. Um, and I certainly have, if, you know, I, I look distracted, it's usually because I'm, I'm having a conversation going on in my head of some kind. <laughs> so I, I can understand that. All right. That makes sense. Uh, what about yeah. you, Chris? Um, I, I, I don't know if I identify per se, uh, but I've always loved Yinigu. Um, and so, uh, back, God, 15 years ago now, uh, when I was working at Wizards and working on the Chainmail Miniatures game, mm-hmm. I was creating the factions for it. And one of the factions was, you know, gnolls and demons um, together, uh, you know, fighting for Yinigu because what a guy. So uh, <laughs> and <laughs> when we were doing Out of the Abyss, um, you know, I was pretty busy working on some other projects that we'll probably talk about later. But um, my my one instance of being the boss was to be like, OK, I'm going to write the Yinigu stuff for this adventure because Yinigu is my man. So uh, that's my answer. Because nice. Knowles, baby. Right. <laughs> that's really cute. <laughs> so this adventure has like a beginning to it where everybody is first level. So how do you imagine that players are going to react to having first level characters in the Underdark? I imagine they're uh, some screaming, some screaming maybe? and yeah. panicking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how did this work out in playtesting? Um, there was some screaming and panicking. Uh, <laughs> Possibly uh, some, some dying. Know, I mean, the, you know, when I, I first started my, my playtest group off with the very beginning of the first adventure, um, there was a lot of... of um, there were a lot of long faces <laughs> because it doesn't. They, Out of the Abyss does not start up start off on a positive note. No. Um, and uh, the the players were all like, "Really?" You know, and the story would continue unfold. They'd be like, "Really?" <laughs> <laughs> you know. Really? So you're gonna kick um, us in the shins in, again. In in spite of that, though, I I think that the <laughs> the the challenge of the the Underdark really. Um, inspired the players to, to rise to the occasion. Yeah, I personally like the uh, uh, adventures and settings that uh, take away resources and make it super hard for people. <laughs> so, Spoken uh, like a true dungeon I've master. been really enjoying uh, 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 reading through Out of the Abyss and excited to play it for, for that reason because, yeah, you're right. Like it, the, the stories of just getting food or just surviving you know, through the night uh, you know that could be done with a, a random encounter or stuff like that, but those become the meat of of the story and the and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the characters uh, and how they bond and how the choices that they make together uh, are going to be the things that people are going to be talking about. You know, the, hey, yeah, yeah, may we fought Demogorgon and these things are going on, but you know, the little stuff, the little details are going to be what's fun. When I was playtesting it with my group. I told them, make your characters like you make any other D&D game characters, and they had no idea what kind of adventure they are going to play. I go, we're going to play test something 
<laughs> oh, you didn't even give them any hints? They had not a clue oh. in their, in their head. They had no idea. They wouldn't get attached mm-hmm. I had a Word doc on my computer, and they're like, we're going to play test some wizard stuff in our first level. And I said, okay, go. And I go, and this is what happens in the looks of betrayal on their face. Uh, <laughs> nice. We're so, like, fed my, fed my inner demon. So you're like Fraz or Blue. Got it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to ask, which demon lord you identify with, Mr. Uh, Lindsay? More like Gratzt, but Fraz or Blue's pretty cool, mm-hmm. too. Really? What about you, Tito? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with uh, I don't know, probably Froz or Blue. Really? Yeah, as a, the the dungeon master idea of you know deceiving, making people yeah. do the things that they don't want to do or whatever storytelling. Yeah, I can get behind that. Oh, I know what an- your answer is. No, be. I I know you think you know, but it's not true. No, I All just right. love her, but I don't I don't feel like she represents me the most. Oh yeah, we're talking about Zugget Moy, right, of course. Right, right. She's my favorite. Mm-hmm. She's my favorite. But I feel like. Personified demon lord me, Dewey Blacks. Really? I'm kind of like a force feeder when it comes. To <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about the gluttony. I'm all about overeating and okay. overindulging. So the question for everybody then is, if you were an ooze, what type of ooze would you be and why? Go. Oh. Uh, jelly, because it rhymes with Shelly. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Uh, we're going to go black pudding. Uh, because black pudding is another term for blood sausage, which is delicious. Oh! oh. <laughs> I agree with one of those statements. <laughs> it's really good. You should try it. Well, what about you, Steve? See, I'd be, I would have been hard-pressed before Out of the Abyss to come up with an answer for that one, but now it has to be a, an, a sentient gelatinous cube. Oh, Glabagool. Mm, nice. Because I love him. Whatever. And is is such a, a has become such a fond fondly remembered mascot uh, around my game table. So nice. Was that your you addition to the? Around all your stuff. Did you add that to the story? Uh, we we ad- adapted him. Uh, uh, it was a collab- his, his creation was a collaborative effort, but he, the the character uh, really emerged in play as yeah. they, many of them do. I can see that. There were tears when he left the party in my game. Yes. Aww. Tears? Yeah. It, it was the, actually a very heroic death. Yeah. So. That's very wow. cool. Wow, you guys, we're, we're seeding uh, uh, all kinds of interest for, for you guys out there. The we're not going to give you any more details things. than that, but yeah, it's it, cool. It sounds like this was a really fun for you guys to work on. This whole campaign, this whole storyline is just, you know, it's crazy, it's madness, it's... Just yeah, there's, there's a lot not there. Not what you expect. Yeah, it sounds like a fun project. What, what would you say you are most excited or proud of about Out of the Abyss? Or maybe you've uh, already said it because we've talked about some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, a, there's a lot of, of really cool stuff in it. Um, I, I think that um, people will, um, will find the, the, the sort of final uh, climax of the adventure uh, pretty cool, uh, and uh, there's uh, some fun uh, options to play around with um, uh, so far as that goes. Um, so uh, I don't want to get into spoilers, mm. but um, there, there are definitely some, some f- opportunities for, for uh, players to really let loose uh, cool. at the, the end of the adventure. So for me, it's like uh, my own personal blood war um, because... Uh, <laughs> 
when I worked at Wizards, uh, Quince- I wrote coincidentally the title of Chris's autobiography. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> My own personal uh, Idaho. When I worked at uh, Wizards, I wrote the uh, the Guide to Hell for Second Edition uh, AD and D. So that got to do all the, the devils. So you know, this was a chance to do some fun stuff with demons. So I've covered both sides of the blood war. So. Do you guys have any advice for dungeon masters who are getting ready to run this adventure? Any key bits of wisdom, things that they should keep in mind or do to avoid like underdark fatigue? Or killing their party? Immediately. There are are many opportunities to um, introduce new player characters throughout the adventure in various areas. Um, so it's a, first of all, a nice safety valve if things go wrong and, and player characters end up dying. But, you know, if that does happen, it's also a great opportunity for the players to play some, uh, unusual character types that would be untenable in a regular campaign, but are totally workable in an underdark game. So mm. I would encourage them to use those opportunities. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, we, we, in fact, I think Out of the Abyss pretty explicitly, you know, addresses the whole, so what if some of the characters die <laughs> um, issue um, because it is uh, such a, a dangerous uh, environment. But I think that in terms of, of sort of avoiding the, the fatigue of, of the characters being in the Underdark, a lot of it is uh, that... The, the Underdark in the adventure is such a, um, a wild environment uh, where there's all kinds of just amazing stuff um, going on all over the place uh, that, you know, emphasizing some of that and, and giving the, the characters the chance to, you know, get the occasional breather and, you know, just take in these, like, unbelievably alien places that they go to. Um, can really, you know, uh, both emphasize the, the style of the adventure, but also, you know, give the, the players a break from, you know, oh, we're going to die, um, you know, every once in a while and, you know, give them a, a sense of, you know, wow, this is pretty amazing. Cool. Yeah, I like the idea of, uh, uh, you know, the Underdark is obviously it's underground, it's mostly dark, dark. <laughs> but like the idea that there's there's a, a fantastic architecture and natural things there's the fair's rest is that that's fair's rest the 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 magic that's uh infused with uh the power of the demon lords uh that glows and and it is very pretty it is very pretty really the, is. the the artists uh, uh here at which the coast that we have some of the stuff up on the walls here and i'm always like oh that's so beautiful and uh yeah i think focusing on that too like that uh uh, bringing in the, the differences of, of of the landscape so it's not all just dark. Mm. And as always, you know, like, take some cues from your players. You know, like, there's right. a big story in the book, but there's plenty of room to move. You know, if your players develop their own interests, you know, like, if, if they want to set up a trading concern with Snurf Nevlin or whatever, like, well, go with it, man. Like, you know, it's a yeah. huge environment with, with lots of story hooks in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah in I fact, love that kind of stuff. That's one of the, the pluses of the adventure is that uh, a lot of it is very freeform uh, in its approach and it really relies very heavily on uh, where the, the adventurers decide to strike out and where, where, they, where are they going next and how are they going to tackle their obvious problems and you know, a lot of that is really left in the players' hands. 
Did you find that challenging to come up with as designers to, to you know, create more of a sandbox style adventure versus a, uh, uh, a more, you know, set piece kind of story? It's difficult in some regards because you have to anticipate, um, either anticipate more possibilities or just uh, present the situation as uh, clearly as you can without trying to anticipate anything and just leaving it in the hands of the, the dungeon master to take it from that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tried to strike a balance between a certain degree of, well, if this happens, then, um, and a certain amount of just saying, well, this is you know, what the characters encounter, and you know, it'll depend on how things go from there, and it's going to be up to you know, the dungeon master to, to decide after that point. So I, this is my most favorite part of the adventure, and we probably can't spoil too much of it, but there's a wedding. Right? Right? Did you guys visit Pinterest a lot to get ideas on the wedding? Like, how did who was the wedding planner in the bunch? How many bridal magazines do you have? (laughs) Right. Well, and the color scheme, you know, was was not easy. It was was hotly contested. There were some fights. Talk about a bridezilla. Yeah, a bridezilla. (laughs) And someone threatening to crash the wedding. It's crazy. But no, that's actually um, we we did just preview the the art for the fetid wedding. Um, But it's it's. Very exciting. I'm very excited about it myself. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun part of the adventure. There will be some blushing brides. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go home with one of the bridesmaids, personally. Well, you be careful. Yes. Yeah. And she can't wait to... Don't eat the cake, though. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> there was no way to say it. What was in my mind without sounding Not disgusting. Not good at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds healthy. Probably no stuffed mushrooms on the menu. Oh, no, no, no. No. No, no clams casino. Zoggy so hates mushroom jokes, by the way. <laughs> it's so He's rude. Like, heard it, huh? So rude of you guys. <laughs> Come on. All right. Uh, what, so what else are you guys working on these days? Uh, so my major focus for this year um, has been working on uh, the Fantasy Age role-playing game, which is a game that I designed and then... Um, the Titan's Grave um, setting and show, which is something um, that I worked on with Will Wheaton, who I'm sure is no stranger to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, Will basically, he's been doing his tabletop show on Geek and Sundry for several years, and they did an Indiegogo campaign um, to fund the third season, and the million-dollar stretch goal for that was uh, we'll do a spin-off RPG show. So they made their million dollars, and then um, they got to make a show. So uh, Will approached me a little over a year ago, um, and basically what he wanted to do was show people um, the fun of role-playing games, and specifically, like, the fun of a campaign. So um, some people expected it would be more like um, tabletop, where every week they'd play a different game. But Will wanted to show off, like, the, the, sort of the, the narrative power and just the fun of, you know, when you have the same people play the same characters over a longer story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we created this setting called Titan's Grave, which is like a science fantasy setting a la Thundar the Barbarian. Um, and then uh, the show 
always ten episodes of um, of the the same players who were uh, uh, voice actors, uh, Laura Bailey and Yuri Lowenthal, uh, and then Hank Green um, and uh, Allison Hayslip, uh, and then they they played out this uh, these adventures that we designed and then published in a book. So uh, at Gen Con, we debuted the Fantasy Age RPG and then the Titan's Grave uh, adventure book. Um, so that has been a really big, awesome uh, project um, that's been um, mostly what I've been working on. Uh, so uh, that's why Steve uh, I was, uh, was the man of the hour to take on uh, Out of the Abyss. So kudos to Steve for doing the, uh, the heavy lifting on that book. Yay, Steve. Yay, Steve. Thanks. And kudos to you because that's really, really impressive, Chris. That's, that's a great, great coup for you. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the great thing is that, you know, it's designed to make new role players. Mm-hmm. And at Gen Con, people were buying the books and being like, this is going to be my first role playing game experience. And, you know, it, it was just great to see it actually work, yeah. you know, like yeah. hey, <laughs> work as mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. You, too, can be voice actors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's what we they also take just it. put out the rule book for our Dragon Age role-playing game. Um, this was a game that used the same system as Fantasy Age, um, and it originally came out in 2009, uh, and then as a series of box sets over the next few years, uh, and now we've just put out a, an all-in-one 440-page uh, beautiful hardback version of that game that has all the stuff in it. So if you liked the Dragon Age IP, um, it is a great game as well. Very cool. That's a huge book. Yeah, no kidding. I was just yeah. thinking, 404 yeah. pages. Jeez. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's funny because it's Fantasy Age because it was designed as a potential intro RPG. That's 144-page hardback, so it's very approachable. Um, Dragon Age is like, I want it all, and I want it right now. So that's, <laughs> that's yes. there for you, too. A little something for everyone. Mm-hmm. And Steve, I know you're keeping busy. What are you up to? Well, I um, basically uh, emerged from the the long journey through the Underdark with <laughs> slime and demons and madness um, into this, you know, pristine valley full of rainbows and unicorns um, because uh, I'm pretty much moving on to working on um, the revised edition of um, Green Ronin's Blue Rose uh, Romantic Fantasy RPG. Uh, that we just did a successful Kickstarter for. Um, and uh, so in many regards, it's going to be the, the uh, you know, complete opposite palate cleanser yes. to Out of the Abyss. Although maybe more weddings, maybe. Uh, maybe yes, more weddings. Uh, in, yeah. in, in fact, we have a whole campaign uh, framework for the book called The Wedding Planners <gasps> um, that is actually all about the adventurers going around and, and uh, arranging weddings. Uh, and that's pretty much what they do. Okay, that sounds fun. Sounds like uh, Shelly's got a new plan. Like I have a new game. <laughs> new game for Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> so Fantasy fun. It's I'm, not fun. I'm really life. looking forward to to digging into the the design on that. In fact, um, Jack Norris and I have already gotten started on some of the initial uh, stages of that, and we've got a lot of um, great uh, stretch goal uh, creators who are adding their own particular touches to the setting uh, with uh, a lot of different and diverse approaches uh, to different aspects of it. So uh, I'm looking forward to that as well as uh, diving back into uh, working on stuff for Mutants and Masterminds. 
Very cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see. Uh, uh, well, I was following the, the Kickstarter pretty closely to, to you know, what, the, what you guys were proposing to, to bring that back in and, and uh, uh, do stuff with Blue Rose just sounds really exciting. I, like, I think it's, it's cool to have a new way to think about fantasy that isn't mm-hmm. just, you know, killing monsters and taking their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was originally a game we did 10 years ago, um, and the, uh, the sort of fun link between that and, uh, and the D&D stuff is that uh, one of the primary uh, creatives on it was Jeremy Crawford, and mm-hmm. it was Jeremy's I... first job in the role-playing game industry. industry. And now, of course, he works for you guys. That's so. why I remember him talking about this yeah. yep. on a podcast. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, in this very room. In this very room. With these very yep. microphones. <laughs> Maybe. Even um, these. And this version of uh, of Blue Rose is also going to use the Adventure Game Engine, which is the system that powers uh, both Fantasy Age and Dragon Age. So. Yes. That is so cool. So nice little yeah. family of games. It is. So, so the the interdimensional Blue Rose Titans Grave crossover cannot <laughs> yeah. be far off. Yes. Steve, do you know? I should know also it? mention uh, one other uh, project that I did yes. uh, this past year uh, was a book for Osprey Publishing called Orc Warfare. Um, so if you know uh, Osprey, they publish uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of these awesome military books. You know, like. Napoleon's Imperial Guard and, you know, Axis Allies of World War II and you know, all those sorts of stuff. And I started branching out into doing uh, miniatures games and, um, and fantasy stuff. And so basically I wrote an Osprey-style military book, but about orcs and how they fight. Um, so that came out in June, so it's available now. And then I, I just finished a sequel to that called Dwarf Warfare, which is going to come out in January. So wow. those are fun books. So. That's Very so busy. cool. Taking that idea of uh, of, uh, of of war uh, and lots of it. applicable stuff to RPGs. Right, it'll be a handbook for uh, the World of Warcraft movie and everything else yeah. coming forward. Right. So where can people can <laughs> yeah, can, pretty much was like <laughs> where can people connect with you guys online or or just find out uh, more? So, uh, we've got our website is greenrenine.com. Uh, we also have. Uh, several Facebook pages. We have a main one for the company and sep- separate Facebook pages for most of our games. Um, yep. And then we're all, we have a company Twitter account, which is Green Rooney Pub. I'm on Twitter as at Premis. Um, yep. Steve, what's your uh, Twitter? Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, S. Kenson. Um, and uh, I have a site at uh, stevekenson.com, uh, which is usually the two easiest ways to find me. Sweet. I'm going to pronounce that Skensen. Skensen, that's usually how most people do. <laughs> uh, and you have your Ad Infinitum page as well, right? Uh, yeah, I have an a, uh, Ad Infinitum Adventures uh, page on uh, Facebook and on my website uh, for my own imprint that uh, publishes uh, Icons, super-powered role-playing, uh, and support products uh, for that, uh, also known as Steve's Other Superhero Game. Yes. Steve has a problem, and it's designing superhero role-playing games. I still can. I still maintain that I could quit at any time. <laughs> well, that's really Absolutely. cool, guys. I'm I'm excited to check out all of these things, as are our listeners. I'm sure. Yeah. But thanks for taking the uh, time to talk to us. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, it was, it was great talking to you. You guys going to do anything uh, uh, at PAX? Are we going to see you there? Uh, yes. Um, so we are having um, Uncle's Games sell our stuff this year. 
And then Uncle's uh, has a table where uh, various game designers are going to be doing signings every day. Uh, so I and Nicole Lindrus will be there Saturday and Sunday, uh, 3 p.m., room 214, um, doing signings for an hour each day. Um, and I'll just generally be floating around the show. So. That's the best when you can just float around and give, yeah. hi give high fives to people. That's what I like to do at times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Very Purell. Yeah, High lots of Purell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Good talking to you. That was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. So that was really cool talking to Bob and Abby. and uh, Steve and Chris. Yes. About, like, you know, I feel like there was a lot of uh, uh, a lot of rage. I, I, a lot of there's demons. a lot of demons raging <laughs> synergy. That's what I was. Yeah. I'm oh. doing. A, I'm doing a hand motion, which means synergy. The official sign for synergy. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yes. they have a lot in common. It was really cool. They do. They do. They spend a lot of time in the underdark. Yes, they do. They're they're <laughs> very dark personalities. All three of them. Yes, I like that. Steve did say he emerged. From the Underdark and went into a world of rainbows and unicorns. If only I could do the same He's probably, for at the end of yeah. the Out of the Abyss no campaign kidding. that I'll be running. Probably faring a lot better than most people who will be participating. Nice. Well, if people want to learn more about Out of the Abyss and the Rage of Demon storyline, where can they go, Shelley? They should go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. That is a website. That is a website. On the internet. On, on the internet. They can also check out the Dragon Plus app. On Android and iOS. iOS and on the web. On the web. Ba, Some ba, ba. internet charges may apply. <laughs> <laughs> or go to your local library. Or just go to, get some books out. Or just, you know, Underdark. siphon it off of your neighbors. Uh, but up to the date, up to the minute, up to the second uh, information will be given out on our Facebook page. On our Facebook page. Yeah. Also on Twitter, which is Wizards DND, at Wizards DND. Mm -hmm. uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I do some things. I'm at Greg Tito. He, he do, you do some things? Yeah. I yeah. do some things. I talk mm -hmm. about some stuff, mostly baseball over the last like two weeks, but some other demon lord type things. That's true. I've seen it happen. What about the Tumblr? How's and the Tumblr And the Tumblr. Doing? We've got an awesome Tumblr. Where demon Week has been happening. It's Demon Week. You can learn all about the demons on Tumblr, which is wizards underscore D-N-D. Again, that's the letters D-N-D. That's right. Mm -hmm. So please follow us there. They don't let us use stuff. ampersands. That's the reason we have to do this, because the whole ampersand messes with great, great? web stupid URLs. Yeah. But I'm loving all the demon weeks that we've been doing. We're doing Are a you? week for each demon, uh, and uh, by the time you guys listen to us, most of them will be gone. Yeah, too, but right? you'll have a whole bunch to look look back on. Yeah, there's a lot of great content out there put up there by someone in this room. Ryan. Ryan. Oh, must been, be Ryan. He's been doing such. You may notice. <laughs> <laughs> you may notice that Zuggy has um, a lot of extra content because maybe somebody loves her You got most. a little thing going for her. I do. I really do. Oh, I love that statue. Yeah. That stuff's all in the tumblers. Check that out it for sure. It is so good. The, the cover of the latest issue of Dragon Plus is an amazing sculpture mm -hmm. of Zuggy, Zuggetmoy, whatever. R&D probably like dies a little inside every time I call her Zuggy. So thank you guys so much for uh, uh, listening. We had a great time. We'll be back in two weeks. Like us on the... Uh, iOS podcast app or however you listen to this podcast. See you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.